Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Influential You podcast. I'm Josh D'Amigo, a program faculty member for Influential You and your host for this weekly podcast. At Influential You, we teach you how to take charge of your career and amplify your professional influence. Since 2009, we have helped thousands of business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs become more influential, more rewarded, and more you. Today, we're in for a special treat because we're going to welcome Rochelle Finlay into the Influential You podcast. Rochelle is the principal at Impact Research Management, LTD, which specializes in the development and implementation of strategies for supporting research and research translation. And she's definitely going to tell us a bit more about that specialization. On today's show, we'll talk a bit about what Rochelle pieced together about her own offer and the concept of focus and clarity, along with a variety of other topics that she learned during her Fundamentals of Transaction and Priority and Practice programs. Rochelle joins us from Christchurch, New Zealand, where she lives with her partner, Stephen. So please join me by hitting this like button, the smash the follow button, and welcome Rochelle Finlay to the Influential You podcast. Now, Rochelle, before we dive into your story, how did you even hear about us at Influential You? Thanks, Josh. And thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, how did I hear about Influential You? I actually was fortunate enough to be referred to Influential You by a dear, a dear friend and colleague of mine, Moira Clay, um, oh. who I'm sure you know very well. Um, so Moira has, I think, had a, a relatively similar career path to me. Um, and when I um, started working for myself a couple of years ago, I believe Moira recognised the need for me to, um, to get some support and structure to be successful. So she very kindly introduced me to Drew Knowles um, and we had a couple of conversations. I was deeply sceptical. We had another couple of conversations. I was deeply sceptical. Um, and then I decided that um, it was time to do something for myself. Um, some learning for myself. So, um, so yes, I jumped into fundamentals of transaction. Well, that's so good because you and I got smushed together about a couple weeks into your study at Influential U where you ceased to become so skeptical and started letting go and letting Josh. Is that how you tell that story? Uh, absolutely, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so fun because we studied so much together during your fundamentals of transaction program. And I think at the beginning you were like, whoa, this guy is everywhere. He's stalking me on my Facebook, on my LinkedIn, on my social media. And I was like, I'm not taking no for an answer. She is going to have a meeting with me or ignore me. Either one. It's not. E so it's so been it's, it's been so fun studying with you. And something that we've probably never talked about that I'm really excited for you to tell our listeners. What in the world is a company like Impact Research Management LTD? You guys specialize in development and implementation of strategies for supporting research and research translation. Pretend I'm eight, which may be normal, but pretend I am. Explain to me what you do as an offer to the marketplace. Okay, thanks, Josh. So taking it back a step, um, what, what is research management? It's really um, wherever there's research, there are research managers. So as is most people are aware, research happens within universities, hospitals, research institutes, sometimes within government. 
and supporting that entire research life cycle or research journey are a team of research management professionals. So collectively, they work across every stage of the research life cycle, leading, leading or supporting research strategy, research governance, grant development, ethics, integrity, partnering, research information management, and um, often the commercialization of intellectual property. So there's a whole team of people behind the research endeavor. And I have been fortunate to have worked in multiple aspects of that sector over the past 30 years, which has given me quite a unique perspective. So through impact research management, I bring that unique perspective of different stakeholder needs to ambitious research intensive organizations. Um, and I support them to ideally move the dial on some critical things uh, they want to move forward. So it's all about enhancing research performance uh, and importantly, getting great research out the door uh, to achieve impact for society, economy, environment. So it's really, that's the translation piece coming in. It, it sounds a little bit to me like it's a little bit of making sure that we're taking biases out of the research, making sure that the research is really accurate because you're specializing in that skill of research. But then also on the end of it, it's also this idea of being able to take the research that's been uh, delivered, or sorry, that's been collected and deliver it in a way that's easy to digest, easier to get the word through. Um, I think of, of COVID, for example, the amount of research and then the way that it was actually displayed, it got kind of bad because I think even the scientific community said, hey, we didn't do a great job delivering our results or what we found, which led to a lot of confusion. Is that a, a, a fair assessment of what you do? Yeah, that, that, that's a piece of it, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, I guess, an example of research being translated, a specific piece of research for a specific purpose. So that, that is part of it. Um, and that's very much in the kind of commercialization of intellectual property or the translation of great ideas um, into into a health benefit um, for that example. But there's also a whole lot more um, around strategy and around global rankings, for example, for universities, how they're seen, how their peers see them. Um, and so a lot of the work I do, it's very diverse. It's niche, absolutely yeah. it's niche. It's working with research intensive organizations, but, but it's very diverse as well. It can range from, for example, conceptualizing a, a new research entity focused on a health issue, um, which I've been recently working on for a major Australian university, through to a review of existing research entities, uh, as well as development of strategic and growth and sustainability plans, excuse me, growth and sustainability plans for existing research entities focused on addressing child poverty. So it's, it's huge. So it spans everything from um, medical to social to environmental disciplines. Got it's it. really exciting. It's really great to be working with my clients to help them achieve real impact. Yeah, it's so good to hear. And for those of you listening and you've talked to me before, this is what I mean when I see the smartest, kindest people I've ever met. Like, it's so fun because this is incredible to me. So, Rochelle, you're incredibly intelligent. You've got a great career. Things are going well for you. What in the world are you doing at Influential You? Why are you getting involved with this organization? I'd love it if you'd take us back to kind of that skeptical nature, that skeptical, hey, I was starting so, to think about it, but what was life like before you started studying with us in the Fundamentals okay. Transaction Program? Thank you. Great question. Um, I might go back to 2021, which was um, 
was a rough year, um, and I'm sure I'm not alone um, in saying that, given given COVID and all that was happening in the world. Uh, at that point, I was living in Australia, um, so I'd spent the last eight years working uh, within Australian universities, uh, and then the world changed. Um, everything changed, and um, and my partner, we realised my my partner's father passed away unfortunately while we were overseas we were not able to re-enter the country at that point in time and so things just I guess you could say a number of breakdowns started to occur uh, and uh, it, we got to the point where it was like I think we just need to go home um, and so in mid-2021 I returned home um, I had resigned from from a really great job with a great university, um, but I, I felt my time had come. Um, so we we packed up and I moved back to New Zealand. Uh, my partner stayed behind because the border was shut. Um, and um, interesting side story, he ended up sailing home from Australia to New Zealand. Wow. <laughs> yeah, quarantine at sea. Um, that's that's a story for a whole different uh, whole different podcast, but. Uh, I was working. I was in New Zealand on my own, starting to establish myself uh, as a, you know, as a as a research management consultant, working for myself for the first time ever, and it had been it had been a chaotic year, relocating countries, resigning from from a, a job I loved, um, and then finding myself alone uh, back in New Zealand. So. Um, as I said to you before, I was referred by Moira Clay, and I think she recognised in me the need for for some structure and support and and a community. Yeah. Um, and so my first conversation, um, as I said, with Drew um, and the scepticism. Once I did get over that, um, I realised that Influential You offers offers a unique environment of professional people just like me. Just like me, and it took me some time to realise that. Um, you know, I, I I consider influential use similar to a, a startup community who doesn't call themselves a startup community, mm. and I appreciate that. It's actually uh, professional people working to do the best they can and support each other to do the best they can. So, so it was fantastic to have that. Um, I recognised there was a need for a framework, and so I embarked on the fundamentals of translate uh, of um, of transaction. Yeah, it's so good. And and just going back in that time period and remembering, you know, New Zealand was one of the strictest countries, if not the strictest country in the world to get into. So it's so funny that we, I mean, we're only three, two years removed, about three years removed. And it was like getting into the country was a blip, but that was a whole undertaking. So it was a big shock, I, I imagine, uh, to your entire world to try to move back from Australia to New Zealand. And then it, you're, I like to tell people a lot of time, people that study with us are looking to do really big things that they haven't done before. And, and moving from the university director level into a consultancy is a big thing. You don't have the same you know, structures that you may have in place in an office setting or in a work environment. Tell me a little bit about kind of that feeling of not yeah. just kind of yeah. the time and place we're in, in the middle of all COVID, but then transitioning from, you know, a, a, an office to consulting. Yeah, it was, it was a big transition. However, because I've been involved in the research management community for for around thirty years, um, I am well networked. 
within that environment. And so it was probably not as difficult for me as it might sound on paper. Um, I had a lot of strong networks and I ended up uh, very fortunately securing a significant contract with a university here in New Zealand. Um, my first consulting contract, for which I was very grateful, and it, and it remains one of my most exciting pieces of work. And so work work came easily. Mm. It came easily. In fact, there was almost too, too much of it at one point. So alongside the setting up of the, the company, um, you know, I, I have given advice to people for years within the university and other environments around startups. So having to listen to my own advice was was um, was really interesting too. Having to flip that around, but um, but it was yes, it was interesting. The isolation was probably one of the major points. I I kind of went to ground, um, and it suited me for quite some time uh, to work alone um, and to work. Uh, I guess to have control over my own destiny. Um, however, that can be incredibly isolating. And I think there is a risk that the more you allow yourself to withdraw, uh, the longer you will withdraw for. Um, and that's why that's why the network was so, you know, the influential you model of study and the, the strong um, social aspect to influential you was really critical for me. Yeah, that's great. And, and I love what you're talking about with like the loneliness and the isolation because you know, the, the CDC and the things that I'm hearing right now coming out about the studies of what life is like right now and the way that we're being affected by this loneliness, it really does lend into health. And you actually mentioned in the show notes that your work-life balance wasn't great because you were starting this new company, your health was just okay, and you had some concern, like most consultants do, that gigs might dry up after a couple of years. For those that aren't familiar with consultant work, you may get a six-month contract. You may get a three-month contract, and you might not know if they're going to renew or not. And especially with the way that the economy was going, sometimes consulting can be one of the first things to go. Tell us a little bit about what that felt like with the work-life balance not being great, health just being okay, and maybe yeah. concern for future business. Yeah, look, the um, the health aspect was obviously it was a, a mentally exhausting time, the relocation of countries and and the changing approach and being um, being on my own for some time. Um, so, so that was challenging. But I think I've done a lot of reflecting on this. I think a lot of the challenge was the fact that previously when I had worked for organisations, I think my life had been a little one dimensional because I actually had given a whole lot of myself only to the career aspect of my life. And so there were significant, not gaps, but certainly, um, you know, an imbalance around prioritization. And so being able to work for myself and being having the focus of influential you to think about what I wanted out of health and and my social interactions and money, was brilliant. All of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, just a minute. There are all these there are all these facets to my life that I need to consider, um, and consider how to balance them in a way that um, kind of sets me up to, to operate the way I want to want to operate in every aspect of my life. Yeah, uh, it's so good. Now we're gonna get right back with Rochelle's story in just a moment. But first, we do want to remind all of you that are listening that Influential Use podcast is brought to you by Thrive. It's Influential Use Self-Guided Training. It's the end of the year, and it's a natural time for reflection. And if you are currently considering what you want for the next year, 
Thrive is the on-ramp to access influential use acclaimed business curriculum. We've also got professional consulting and career development programs that help you put you in the driver's seat. Thrive is a professional self-development program that allows you to learn at your own pace. Our Thrive members enjoy weekly live e-coaching sessions and an ever-expanding library of exclusive video lessons taught by our faculty, consultants, and industry experts. We'd like to invite you to sign up today, right now in fact, and you can use the promo code 30DAYS, that's 30DAYS, to get a start with Thrive. Uh, and this self-guided training subscription is free for 30 days. All you have to do is go to checkout and then type in 30 days, 30DAYS. For links or to find out more, you can click the link in the show notes for this podcast or in the U.S. or Canada, you can go ahead and grab your phone and text the word THRIVE to 805-262-9008. And we will send you the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word THRIVE to 805-262-9008 and you can cancel at any time. And back with Rochelle Finlay. Now, we have been studying for a little bit. You jumped in and you started to learn a lot of things that you might have been naive in when you were looking to balance your life. Uh, tell me a little bit more about kind of what you started to learn when you started to research what you wanted for your life versus what was kind of just happening automatically in your life. Yeah, yeah. look, I, as I mentioned, I think even, even stopping, pausing, thinking about different conditions of life, different aspects of life uh, was a bit of a revelation for me. Um, in terms of the in terms of the the career perspective, um, I think in my if I focus on that just for a little bit in the very early days of my company, um, I wasn't really clear about what I was offering in the marketplace and what made me unique. Um, I you know I, I wasn't clear where my niche was. I knew I had specialized knowledge. Um, I knew I had depth and breadth of networks within the research and innovation sector. Uh, but it wasn't clear to me what kind of projects I wanted to work on and what type of clients I wanted to work with. So studying with Influential You means that I, I now understand that my perspective is pretty unique um, and that I have experience from multiple aspects of, within the sector. That's relatively unusual. Uh, generally, someone will pick a career path and, and it may be within the university environment, for example, and spend many, many years within that space. I have worked on different sides of the fence, um, investor, uh, and uh, research provider, uh, and then different types of entities. So that's an incredibly valuable perspective. And I think it, as, as impact research management moves into its third year of business now, which it just about, uh, I think, just over two years old, two and a bit, um, I am really open to exploring new opportunities, but I'm really clear about what I don't do. Um, and there are a number of consultants in the research management space who do things that I don't do. So it's actually really empowering for me to be able to say, as I did to a potential client the other day, no, I don't do that. But, um, but there are others who do it, do it brilliantly, um, and I'd be happy to refer you. So that's been, that's been part of the focus journey. Um, and it is scary, focusing, which is, which is what I was warned through fundamentals of transaction, it would be scary. Um, and it is, and it feels like you're knocking back work. Um, and when you don't know where your next role might come from, but, um, but it is incredibly empowering. And 
and I guess alongside even, you know, identifying who I want to work with, I've learned a few lessons along the way. Um, I, I uh, Within Fundamentals of Transaction, we learn about conditions of satisfaction. Um, so what, what type of client do you want to work with and what, what, what conditions do they need to meet? So I'm now very clear that if a client says to me, we could do this ourselves, but we don't have time, that they are not interested in contracting me for my expertise. Mm. They're interested in another pair of hands. And so that's a, that's been a tough lesson, um, but it's been brilliant to sharpen the focus. And that yeah. those are not the types of jobs I, I then do. Um, I'm always happy to explore them, but um, but I am, am very clear that is, it is my expertise and my depth of knowledge that is being contracted for, not, my, not yeah. just my team. I've heard that a lot because I've heard of consultants who are starting to get into the consultancy, but then they're only looked at as just basically extra work or extra um, human resources, extra hands on deck. And they're not there for their specialized knowledge, for their leadership, for what they bring on the topic. They end up being data entry and then called consultants. And it's yeah. it's fascinating to me that people don't know. Well, maybe maybe it's not fascinating, but it's a, a, it's a sad place to fall into when you're moving into a business and you suddenly realize that, no, they're just hiring you to fill a spot rather than actually work with them to improve performance on what they're working on. I'd, I'd love to touch on these two things because you mentioned that you also learned that you didn't really have a process for thinking through the big, important decisions of your business and your personal life. And then secondly, you also talked a lot about um, kind of how what you learned about the transactional personalities. I'd love to hear a bit about, first off, that process for decision making. What did you learn about the 13 steps that was so impactful yeah. for your personal life and work this year? Yeah, the very existence of the 13 steps <laughs> was, um, was uh, a game changer for me. I think that the fact, if I, my memory serves me correctly, um, the first step is around it, articulating conditions of life. So for me, I use the 13 steps for making major decisions. Um, and that's the first question. Does this opportunity or will this activity help me or harm me? Does it guide me towards my ultimate objective? or does it take me off on a tangent? Yeah. So best question out of the whole 13 is, is the first one for me. So I do oh, seriously yeah. use the, yeah, use that for, for decision-making and it, um, yeah, it's incredibly valuable to be constantly reminded to go back to what you're hoping to achieve. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna play with you on that for a second because I think that leads really well to your transactional personality and maybe some of the things that you learned because when we stop that, what we're really looking for is, you know, what is your aim? What is the aim for a condition of life in the 13 steps? But of your project, the reason that we're using these 13 steps, what's the aim? And so many people lose sight of that a long way on their path. They start out saying, I want to work less and make more. And then along the way, they make more while working more. And that's not what they were actually looking to do. So. Yeah. Stopping and considering what your aims are has to be really valuable. It's really valuable for a producer personality who tends to really like to work and put projects on and tasks and be very task oriented. During the program, I believe that you found that you were somewhere on that producer uh, lens and you found out that, hey, maybe you had some skill sets that weren't always benefiting you when it came to work. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I do. I do identify as a producer. 
uh, as, a, as a transactional personality type. And that does mean that I am very quick to jump straight to action. Um, and so I'm really good at delivery. I'm really good at uh, at the really objective pieces of work, the, the contracting, the closing the deal, the contracting, the delivery. Uh, where I am not so good is up in that kind of inquiry, uh, creativity inquiry, ironically, innovation space. Um, and so through PIP, one of the best things I learned, and you're probably going to go there, Josh, was around um, pattern of inquiry. So actually being able to stop, think, identify what a, what a breakdown or an opportunity might look like, and then not act. I've had to work very, very hard to prevent myself from acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point where I've, I've, um, I've taken to writing notes to myself in my diary, do not act, do not action this now. Now is not the time to action. It is the time to think um, and inquire. So, and I have to keep, I have to just keep reminding myself of that because I am so wired to go straight to getting a job done. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's been great actually. I think as a result of identifying the different personality types, I am far more collaborative. I recognize the value and other personality types that previously I may honestly have steered away from because they weren't like me. Um, yeah. And I now see that's a brilliant thing. They're not like me. Um, heaven forbid everyone should be like me. Um, so it it's um, really opened my eyes to different styles and the value that, uh, that performers and inventors um, and judges uh, play. Yeah, and I think it's it's really valuable too, uh, talking about priority practice and really that idea of the pattern of inquiry. When we talk about that, for those that aren't familiar, slowing down to speed up is something that you hear a lot around here. And a lot of times, what's the appropriate place to take? Well, if you're in inquiry, it's inquisitive. But when we're getting into action, if you think about the light switch, you flip the light switch off and it doesn't work. Getting into action is like flipping the light switch on and off and on and off and on and off and wondering why it's not working and trying to fix it in the way that you know how to fix it throwing, maybe going nuclear when all you have to do is find that one spot. So taking the time to consider what may be the breakdown here and, and label it that way and start to move in a, a a pattern of actually stopping and slowing down to think through the problem saves us a lot of labor along the way. And as someone who is oriented towards narrative and isn't probably going to come up with the idea or do the work, a pattern of inquiry is great for me, but it may not be a place that you naturally go as a producer. So being able to team up with a different personality that sees things a little bit differently will not only allow you to slow down to speed up, but also get you valuable feedback along the way. So that's kind of what I'm hearing a little bit of what you're saying. Anything to add to that? Uh, no, look, I think um, I, I, uh, I guess reflecting on the, the slow down to speed up, um, one of the one of my favorite parts of that pattern of inquiry is um analyzing what's still working because not every not every aspect of, of things is broken um, so actually stopping and going okay well th- this there's a breakdown here um, this has happened but hey all these things are still working really well so um, it's not it's not quite as dire as one might think um, and allows you to kind of focus on what solutions might be best to address that, and then the, there's a, there's the testing phase too. I recall, um, and then which is brilliant. So then there's a bit of testing to see whether actually the solution or the proposed solution that you've come up with is indeed the right one. 
Um, so no, it's it's been great, and I I've, I have practiced um, that pattern of inquiry over and over through one of the uh, one of the metrics I set up through PIP, uh, which was to develop a business plan for to action in 2024. Um, and as you can imagine, I was I was champing at the bit to action that, um, but. There was there is no action there is a plan um and 2024 is about doing stopping thinking um and scheduling the delivery of that plan um and time to reflect and measure of course reflect on it well i don't know if you smell what i'm smelling but it sounds like mechanics and practice might be <laughs> but i i don't want to I'll, I'll say this it's i did priority and practice after mechanics and practice too after completing the four-year curriculum and there's something really special about the priority and practice program and the idea that, you know, some people um, actually do better doing priority and practice first and then going into the fundamentals of transaction program because it is such a, I call it a boot camp. It's a 12 week rigorous look at measures. What are you working on? What's actually moving the needle? And then thinking really accurately about how you move um, in your transactions. Um, how would you uh, encourage someone or how would you tell someone the value of that priority and practice program yeah. um, in your own words, in your own world? Uh, I think it really operationalizes the theory behind fundamentals of transaction. And that's that's what drew me to it. Um, so I knew I'd learned a lot through fundamentals of transaction. I was concerned that I might forget forget all of the moving parts, forget the transaction cycle. So I needed something really tangible to lock down my learning. Um, and so for me, PIP was exactly that. It started off um, fairly slowly um, and there's not a whole lot of new learning to do. You learn by doing. Um, and the ability to think accurately about uh, goals and then put in place actions and measure them uh, for me personally, was um, is, is fundamental. I um, yeah, if you're a practical personality type, or you just need to understand a little bit more how fundamentals of transaction or mechanics and practice can translate to real your own real challenges and objectives, um, PIP is fantastic for that. Yeah. Um, one last question on kind of what life's like now. With that, one of the things you learned in the program was that the producer personality tends to act and to get into action. And many times they start to get into action in places that may not actually progress towards completion. They actually go to work on things that they just need to, quote unquote, need to do. But in reality, it may be taking away from what they actually need to do. In your world, can you kind of explain what that looks like or, or tell me more about that? Yeah, look, I um, I got caught up in thinking in the PIP course and thinking that time meant progress. Um, and so I had uh, I had some quite uh, clear goals or components of, that I needed to deliver as part of the business plan um, that I was drafting. And I, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, Josh, I was, you know, week, week two of measuring, I'm, I'm doing great, aren't I brilliant, super. Uh, week four, I'm in the same place as week two, despite having invested significant time and energy in the very thing I'm hoping to progress. So um, for me, it became very clear that time is not progress. Progress is progress. And, um, and the ability to break down 
significant tasks um, and chunk them and then be very clear about what is required to deliver on them and then schedule and plan to deliver that um, has been um, has been a game changer for me. I, I don't think I would have landed on that. I think I would have continued to schedule time um, rather than uh, outcome. And I, so. I think that that efficiency, that, that cuts the learning experience down in half, or, I mean, in, in your case, it, it sounds like it's almost half. It's not a scientific uh, research uh, number by any means, but at the same time, you find really quickly, when I can become more efficient and use my time and energy in a way that I really feel energized and I like to do, and then also delegate the tasks that maybe I don't to people that would enjoy doing that, it changes the dynamic and it changes the workplace and it changes the type of activity that we end up doing uh, to be more satisfying all across the board. Um, so I love, I love that for you. I'm really excited about this because it's not every day I get to just hang out with a research and innovation management professional like yourself. So I'm looking forward to finding out in, in transactional competence and what you've learned through our study in your work. What's something that you can teach me and my listeners or our listeners about when it comes to transactional competence and your specialty and expertise? Yeah, look, I think um, the biggest lesson for me and and I think the most, yeah, the, the most powerful lesson is around the existence of the transaction cycle and the fact that there are stages in transactions um, and, and that each of them warrant due attention um, and an appropriate approach to them in order to in order to create a, a I guess an outcome or a transaction that meets everybody's needs. So slowing slowing down the transaction cycle and actually working through each stage of it and um, will will result in a better product. So for me the transaction cycle has been um, has been fundamental and I do I use that now. Um, I've started to actually map my my the projects for my clients on that cycle. So instead of using a traditional pipeline diagram, I am mapping where each stage of the transaction cycle that my interactions are at. So I know at any one time now that I might have um, three or four uh, opportunities in the invite stage, uh, another couple in the in the contract stage. So it's actually really nice. It's a nice model to to map uh, workflow for me as a, as a research management professional. It's so good. And for those of you that aren't familiar, I'm going to do the best I can to spell this out in a way. If you took a circle and drew a circle, you could see one of our models that basically talks about the idea, ideifying, if you will, coming up with the idea, assessing something, building an idea to answer that assessment that will be a solution or a possibilities, many possibilities. You choose one, which is your invitation. Now we're going to invite, see if this is a possibility for both sides. We're going to have a presentation. We're both going to talk about what we're intending to do, move down into contract where we're actually commit to our plan. Then we're going to do the labor work action and fun for play, if you will, on the fulfillment. Go to measure it. See that we did what we said we we're going to do. Complete, reassess, and reinvent. And around and around we go. And when you know it like that, the way I just said it, you can actually find yourself in your communications, where breakdowns are occurring and being able to kind of sit back and see that in your communication becomes incredibly valuable to move this project forward. Hey, it sounds like you're still kind of not totally committed to this idea. Can it speed up a conversation, a project, a disagreement 
much more quickly when we slow down just to figure out where each person is at. Is that similar to how you feel it's starting to go for you? Yes, certainly. I think um, where I have uh, had challenges before, not breakdowns, but some niggles have been around uh, the failure to meet common ground. So we're all busy. And so, uh, you know, an opportunity will get uh, drafted up. Um, I know who I'm working with. I know what they want. Um, and so it, it's, you know, a priority might might be to close that deal, to get that contracted for various reasons. Uh, and skipping over the, the meeting of the minds, the finding common ground, uh, will only come back to haunt. Um, and so I have, um, through great advice from Marnie Power, actually, as well, I have been able to embed some, some different types of activities within my contractual arrangements. So I will, on her advice, I will now always, um, the first milestone for any deliverable is to meet and agree on the methodology, approach and needs um, of all parties. Um, and you'd think that wouldn't be embedded in a contract, uh, but, but it is. And um, and it's yeah it's fantastic. So if you can't if you can't slow the transaction cycle down within the cycle within its logical steps, building in a process for doing it later still works. Yeah. Well, and the most masterful can speed up and slow down at will in a lot of ways. And and being able to figure out locate ourselves right. I think there's one other thing that may be really valuable for you to speak on. And a lot of times I know that producers can be so driven to just move the project forward and they may try to move it through, you know, almost jam it through a transaction when in reality, we've got levers of influence that we study by Robert B. Cialdini that allow us to move more gracefully through each one of these, you know, moves or phases of our transaction cycle. The idea that we can call upon unity, reciprocity, commitment and consistency, liking authority, social proof and scarcity, makes the greasing of the transactional wheel, if you will, much more easy because when I'm in contract, I'm being more authoritative. I'm still using a little bit of liking, a little bit of unity, but I'm going to pull a lot of that back because now it's time to really make sure that we hammer this out and not goof off. Whereas another time when we're, you know, in the invitation, maybe it is the more time to be a little more affable, a little more exciting, a little bit more like playful. I'd love to hear from a producer perspective that is very black and white, very objective, very get to work. What's slowing down to think accurately about how to influence that person over there to move with your plan? How does that come as a benefit for you now? Yeah, look, I think it's a combination of the, um, I guess, the use of those uh, levers of influence and understanding different personality types. Uh, so actually being able to slow that down and think, gosh, I'm not quite getting what I need out of, um, in terms of feedback from a client within the time frame I need it now. How am I going to, let me stop and think about what, what it is, what the breakdown is that I'm trying to address for them. Let me stop and think about um, what matters most to them. Um, and then let me think about the best way to get what I need in order to give them what they need. So, yeah, I, I think it's an awareness. An awareness. I mean, there's no one. There's no one size fits all, obviously, um, and it's an awareness of those different those different tools. Scarcity might not work um, for some. Um, it might actually irritate. Um, however, um, in other situations, it can be incredibly valuable. It's been Sorry. so good. And I also love. Just, I'm just going to compliment you right now. I love the meta study that you and I get to do, even in sending you you the rules for how to fill out this show's you know, 
feed work, paperwork and all that stuff. You gave us feedback on that that was so valuable that I inserted it into my future things going forward. So thank you for being a great client and someone that I really love studying with. Anything that you'd like to say to kind of close up your interview for today? Um, I guess um, I guess I would like to close out by by maybe sharing a quote. Now, influential you share multiple quotes um, and resources and through fundamentals of transaction and PIP, but one that really got me to sit up and take notice as an independent consultant new to the game, uh, a couple of years ago new to the game, uh, who was perhaps relying on my, my past life um, for my future success. So there's this quote that says, to be satisfied with one's past achievements is, is to the extent that no new action is taken to improve on them, is best suited for the person preparing herself or himself for retirement. So you can imagine um, as a new consultant, I'm like, oh dear, um, I'd, be, I'd better start making sure I'm not obsolete here. And so Influential You has enabled me to plan to not become obsolete, uh, to continue to learn. I, I love my daily study now. That is a, that is a regular for me. I, I miss that if I don't do it. Um, so I now consider myself a lifelong learner. Um, and what it's given me, I think, is, is clarity of vision. Um, and that, that clarity combined with a, with a really considered plan of action means that um, I'm raring to go for 2024 in a, in a way that I have not been in the past. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for what might come in 2024. And I'm, I'm very clear that, um, that a lot of what comes out of 2024 is in my hands. Um, I get to drive that, um, and, but at the same time, be prepared for curveballs. So that's, it's exactly why we do what we do. I think, I think that's, that's so well, so well said. Um, we're going to put up your website so that way people know that they can kind of look more about is who is the, the person for you to connect with or someone that you, Hey, this is a person that should go check out my website. Uh, anyone who's working in the research or research management space uh, and that, and on any, on any side of the fence. So for any organizations, companies who do R and D and wish to partner uh, with re other research intensive organizations, for example, or anybody within um, a research provider environment, universities, uh, research institutes, um, or colleagues doing similar things to myself. I'd love to connect with you. Fantastic. So you saw the website there, Impact Research. Say it one more time. What's the website? Impact Research Management. Impact Research Management, LTD. Thank you so much, Rochelle. It has been wonderful to have you on the show today. And uh, if you'd like to find out more, feel free to look at the show notes and you'll be able to find more about Rochelle. And Rochelle, I, I heard a rumor that you're thinking about coming to a mid-year conference. Is that what I heard? Annual? Uh, yes, I am, Josh, but only if you're there too. Oh, okay. Well, let's see if we can get Josh from New Zealand. I like this plan. All right. Well, thank you for Rochelle Finlay for being on the show. And we'll talk about you more in just a moment. But if you'd like to know more about us, you can go to influentialu.global and explore our courses, consulting, and conferences. We offer a four-year curriculum for those who are seeking a more advanced experience. However, if you're brand new, this is the first time you've heard the Influential You podcast, I highly recommend that you just go ahead and start with Thrive our self-guided training. The Thrive program is a self-guided program that lets you learn at your own pace. Thrive members enjoy weekly live e-coaching sessions and an ever-expanding library of exclusive video lessons with our faculty, thought leaders, and industry experts here at Influential U. 
You'll get proven proprietary tools to accurately assess your career and develop a realistic strategy to achieve your aims even faster. Your membership also includes chat access to faculty plus discounts to our transformative conferences. You can sign up today and use promo code 30days for a free 30-day test drive of Influential Use Thrive program. That code, 30days. Once again, you can cancel at any time and see the links in the show notes for more information. Thank you so much for listening today. We stream live at 2 p.m. Pacific on our website, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, so you can easily share this podcast with others. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other place that you get quality podcasts. Check out our show notes for links to connect with our guests, plus links to websites, books, or any special downloads we may have talked about on today's episode. This podcast is made possible by the Influential You staff, faculty, and our members all around the world, with a special thanks to our executive producer, Tyson Crandall, our in-studio producer, Michael Teehee. Good work this year, Michael. It has been a joy working with you, my friend. Joey Anderley, Daryl Anderley, Paul West, Liz Smiley, and our CEO, John Patterson. I'll also call him our biggest fan. Thank you so much for allowing us to do this this year. Also, a huge thanks to our special guest today, Rochelle Finlay, and make sure that you check out her website and add her on LinkedIn as well. The Influential You podcast is produced by Influence Ecology LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded on December 27th, 2023. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring, entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. And if you haven't yet offered a rating or review, please take a moment and just go to iTunes or your podcast app and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know. We'll see you next year on the Influential You podcast.